our recent launch of some brand new free resources for our post-16 GCSE Maths students and centres, we thought now was the perfect time to talk to an expert in this field. Steve Pardo is the head of the Centres for Excellence in Maths programme at the Education and Training Foundation. So much action research has taken place under this programme and I can't wait to hear all about it. So let's get started. Steve Pardo, I'm so grateful that you have taken the time out of your busy schedule to talk to me today. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here. Brilliant. So we've got lots lots to, to pack in uh, today. So um, as always, an icebreaker starts every single one. Um, and I would like to know, uh, as a mastermind contestant, if we got, got you onto mastermind, and it can't be maths, <laughs> what would your specialist subject be, Steve? All right, tricky ones first. Um, <laughs> first of all, I don't think it would be maths, actually, because my... Uh, my academic background is actually psychology uh, more than maths. I didn't do maths after A-level. Um, so that probably says there's something about my angle where I've come into maths learning. Um, so it'd be something to do with music or probably football in my case. So going back to my black country roots, I'd go for Wolverhampton Wanderers FC at 1970 to the present day. So being an avid supporter for over 50 years, dare I say. So I should have plenty of knowledge on that one. That is such a niche topic. That's incredible. I'm going to have to tag I'll tag the club in to see if they can, uh, they'll offer some support. We'll try and get you on there. Um, so as I mentioned um, in the introduction, you are head of the Centres for Excellence in Maths, um, which has been a five-year programme funded by the government um, of course, we've worked uh, on different elements of this over the past year or so, but for our listeners, can you tell them what the aims of the project are, were, um, and how it's been structured, and maybe just a bit of information as to, to what's happening next for, for the, pro the programme? Uh, the aims are, are basically to improve progress and attainment of 16 to 19 year olds in FE. Uh, in, in maths, of course, up to level two. So what the DfE would have, would call basic maths. So we're primarily looking at issues around GCSE resets, but it does also impinge on functional skills. And ultimately, how can we change things to increase success rates so we're not getting those 20% odd uh, that we've seen for really since the change in funding. So in terms of CFEM, it's a, it's a five year project. Uh, we're coming into the final year, 22-23, finish next March. Um, so it started off with a focus on four themes, um, contextualization, engagement and motivation, which has remained a big one, uh, use of technology and data, and also mastery, teaching for mastery. After the first two years of the project, uh, teaching for mastery really became the overriding theme. So the DfE wanting to build on uh, what's happened in uh, primary and then secondary schools. Uh, so the other strands uh, have been subsumed really under the banner of mastery. Uh, though engagement and motivation has remained still a key focus uh, and a key area of interest. So how we work, we've got uh, 21 um, centres for excellence across England, so each based in either an FE or a sixth form college, uh, and each of those centres gets grant funding from DfE each year for their work. 
and each is recruited a network of local partners, primarily colleges, but extending beyond that to other post-16 providers. And I think the latest figure is we're now covering 93% of, of colleges in England. So we're looking to up that closer to 100%. The final bit, which has more recently come in, uh, can become part of CFM, is the whole college strand. So it's looking at different issues here. It's sort to of bring together staff from across colleges, both maths staff, vocational teachers and managers, and also senior leaders to grapple with um, some of the, the wider issues of, of maths in FE. And uh, it, it's basically a process of organisational change to address those uh, those particular issues. And that's been, uh, seems to have been really successful. So that's that's uh, quite a long answer there on what uh, CFEMS about. That's you know it's so important though to make sure that you out and I say outline in in the loose sense because that's just the tip of the iceberg into everything that's underneath those you know those four topics and all of the action research and all of the CPD that happens and I think it's important for the listeners to to know about that. You know, if they've never heard of CFEM before, I highly doubt it with 93% uh, reach to, to colleges. But they're, like you say, we want to get that closer to 100%. And so there might be some, some people listening today that haven't heard. And so now they can get an idea as to, to, to exactly what's, what's been going on and, and the action research that, that's, that's happening. Um, you mentioned those CPD sessions and the webinars. And I was fortunate enough to attend a couple of those training and updates kind of days, um, you know, listening into some of that action research that the centres are conducting. Um, and of course, that was all part of my work into looking at what we could do here at Pearson to help support the needs of, of the, the retake students and, and of course the staff and, and the centres themselves. And I was almost overwhelmed listening uh, into to some of the the talks given by a, a few of these 21 centres, just how dedicated and how passionate that they are and determined to just help um, and make sure that the, the action research that they're conducting is, is poignant enough to make a difference. Um, for, I mean, there were so many for me, but for you, Steve, what wow moments can you remember over the past five years that, that have transpired from from some of that research that's been happening. Yeah, there's certainly been plenty of those over the years. I think, as you say, it's the, it's the passion, the enthusiasm, the determination of the teacher and their managers in many cases um, to address these issues, uh, and particularly that willingness to try new ideas and develop approaches, and not sticking with the the tried and trusted and as we know, largely failed. We're only getting 20% through GCSEs. So um, I think actually the biggest wow was possibly last Friday listening. We had one of the first of our CFEM live events this year, listening to presentations um, from the centres. And it was particularly on the core issues of teaching for mastery. A big focus, as particularly this year, has been on uh, using models and representations like bar models, ratio tables, double number lines and so on, and also use of manipulatives um, within uh, GCSE resets and functional skills. And I suppose first thing was I was just struck 
reflecting on how things have moved just in three years, despite all the disruption caused by COVID, which has really come right in the middle of our programme. Uh, and how many centres now are really um, taking to heart and incorporating core mastery teaching within their maths delivery, certainly within the, the main centres at least. So we want to get that wider, but it seems to be reaching, that, that, that momentum is building. Um, the second thing with that was consistently how much impact that seems to be having both on the learners and the teachers themselves. Uh, and it seems that many colleges are now achieving some quite significant breakthrough in terms of certainly in terms of learner engagement, confidence and progress, progress in understanding at least the core concepts of GCSE, particularly around ratio and proportion, fractions, percentages and basic algebra. Um, it's a shame really we've only got another nine months of CFM left. It feels like we could do it another three years because we're really building up a head of steam there. Um, but yeah, we're trying to do what we can in the last nine months to make sure this has the biggest impact we can. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of momentum still building, isn't there, with the with the new new pathways, new avenues that get explored as part of action research. And um, like you say, it's a it's a shame um, that we've got the nine months left uh, of the the outcomes of the centres. But I'm sure I'm sure there's there's more to come, um, and I'm sure that that work won't just stop. Um, at the end of it. Um, I want to link, I mean, we've had uh, several conversations about this theme um, between, between you and I, but I want to link back to a previous episode uh, episode with Susan Okoreke um, about that mass curriculum. And you mentioned one of those, uh, you know, the overarching themes earlier about, you know, the context and, and the engagement of, of students, especially at post 16. And, and Susan, you know, she's a very, she's an experienced practitioner and, and, you know, worth her weight in gold. And she made a really bold, <laughs> bold statement in that podcast um, that I hear quite regularly across multiple different channels, really, of talking to teachers, talking to, to school leaders. And the statement was, that the current GCSE maths curriculum is not fit for purpose. It just doesn't work. So I'd like to know what your response is to a statement like that. Um, and, you know, just around the conversations that you might have heard. So what, what do you think, Steve? Is it? Is it fit for purpose? Well, it's a bold statement. I've got a lot of sympathy <laughs> for it. Um, so yes, I would. On the whole, I think it does need a fundamental change. Uh, and I think the, the basic problem is, despite some popular perceptions about maths, maths does have so many important and varied purposes in the world that we live in, in modern society. So it's, um, on the one hand, we can talk about everyday applications, we know how important financial literacy is to people uh, and the demands, the everyday demands of, of maths in the workplace and general understanding of what's going on in the world through data and statistics, which is so important in citizenship and at the heart of democracy. So on the uh, other hand, we've got the demands, particularly from universities and certain uh, sectors of the economy, who need those higher level technical math skills, which are critical, as we know, for the economy to succeed. So you've got that fundamental tension. I think that's what's at the heart of it. Um, 
between that's everyone needs and that's specialist high level skills. And GCSE, in a sense, is trying to do both. <laughs> it's trying to, um, and perhaps not fully succeeding at either. Um, I think the other point I'd make is that maths has moved on as a subject with technology. We all have calculators, devices, computers, and we do lots of complex calculations with the, without having to think too much about it. Uh, so whilst I do think it's important that as far as possible, learners do develop the skills to carry out basic calculations. Um, and we know the importance in terms of critical uh, cognitive load in terms of students being able to do uh, the basic multiplication, addition and so on. Um, but just as important, so the idea I think of number sense that students actually understand the number system in depth and can use it flexibly um, according to the context and the calculation question. And we know that's something that's come from employers, that they need that. It's not just the academic qualifications. And I suppose related to that, my other point is about functionality and comes down to learners' ability to interpret situations mathematically, which is still mm -hmm. an ongoing issue and apply it in real life situations. Um, I think that's come more into GCSE since the 2014 reforms with the emphasis on emphasis on uh, reasoning and problem solving. Mm. But I do think that most 16 to 19 year olds uh, would still struggle to see the relevance of much of GCSE maths uh, and particularly it's the relevance to them at their stage of life. So not maybe in 10 or 20 years time when they've got a mortgage or whatever, they need to be able to relate to it in some way. Yeah, I think you're right, and it is that that re relatability. Um, you know, the students that they, they can recognise. We've all heard it from students in the classroom. Why are we learning this? What's the point of this? I'm not going to need this, and and that kind. Of, you know, recognising themselves and the need in their in their ex uh, study and exams. Um, as you can imagine, I'm sure your conversations in in your line of work as well are. Um, I've heard lots of suggestions on what the ideal maths curriculum would look like. Um, I was picking up on some of the things you you were just saying and does it, here's the million dollar question Steve really, do we need a, a GCSE maths that just looks at real life maths and functionality? Do we need another GCSE in maths that are for you know, the, the abstract, you know, all that geometry and circle theorems and the higher level thinking, do they need to be two separate curriculums? Uh, I don't know, like what's this million dollar question, what would an ideal suitable GCSE maths curriculum look like for our post 16 students, I guess? Yeah, I, I think the answer is yes, <laughs> fundamentally <laughs> to that one. Um, I mean, MEI, as you know, have had a stab at producing a post-16 uh, GCSE exam um, with more emphasis on application and functionality. But ultimately, I do think we need two separate qualifications, as we've got for English. We've got English language, English literature, and English language is the one that everyone is expected to do. English literature is still a core part of the uh, school curriculum. I think we need that. We need that First and foremost, for our students, uh, FE students, research students, is that functional GCSE exam. And I do think the GCSE bit is important. So 
the problem, part of the problem with functional skills is the brand and to employers, GCSE, I think, will always be the gold standard. So I think there needs to be one that is everyone takes focusing on core concepts that are relevant to people's lives and they're all lightly to find useful. Um, yeah, ratio, percentages, proportions, statistics. I wouldn't exclude algebra from that, by the way. I think everyone needs to understand basically what algebra is and what it's used for. I mean, it's important. But yeah, then that wider, perhaps more technical maths curriculum aimed at those going on to STEM subjects, maybe A-level, university or economics or whatever. Um, so that needs, I, I think both need to be core still to GCSEs, um, but maybe it's that formal and the functional one that needs to be the one that GCSE resits um, focus on. Basically, they need a narrower and more relatable curriculum. Yeah, I would agree. And some of the work that um, we've done here at, at Pearson over the past year is, you know, asking teachers of, of um, sixth form centres and, and, and colleges what what would they cut out if if they they could uh, what are the key topics do you think um would you know bode well for a successful study of the current GCSE curriculum and it was it was really clear that a lot of the you know your your trigono trigonometry uh, that they were you know your 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 bonus marks if you like but when when we asked teachers the core was there you know the statistics and and interpreting graphs and data and that kind of stuff because you know we we, we have to do that as part of the news that we're presented with at six o'clock every evening you know making your own inferences out of the data that you're presented with and I definitely agree about algebra and I'm sure Dr M's Lord from Enrich would also agree with us about algebra and, and that level of abstract thinking and problem solving is really key, uh, a real key life skill. We, we did a podcast together a few episodes back on just who invented algebra because that was one of the questions we get all the time from students. Like, what is the point in this? Who invented this? So I I got Dr. Ems to come along from Enrich um, and, and just explain why we have algebra, why it's so important and why it's such a beautiful element to have uh, as part of our maths education uh, for, from a young age. So, yes, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think most people don't realise they're actually using algebraic thinking. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the whole time, even if they're not coming across X's and Y's. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know, both of us would absolutely love to have a, a magic wand uh, and just wave it across and create this, the, the most perfect curriculum that's that's going to change the, the learning, the perceptions, because obviously there's a lot of, you know, maths anxiety and negative connotations in the media around maths. You know, students have a, a bad experience in their school education that has a, a knock-on effects. And, and we, we see this every year, Steve. It's it's the pain of tens of thousands of students go through this fa failure. They're branded a failure if, if they don't get this magic number four. Um, but of course, there are processes, there are um, you know, go government hoops, Ofqual, the DfE policies, um, and and it would be a slow process to to initiate and, and implement these changes. So I always like to have these um, episodes that offer teachers something that they could take away. Once once they've stopped listening to to this episode, let's 
offer them something that, that can help the teachers or their students right now with their math studies. Um, you know, you, you know, we've just released a whole bank of resources. Um, so on those uh, topics that teachers identified as a, a cut down version of the curriculum, uh, we, we produced some themed papers um, to help engage. You know, you, you spoke earlier about one of those key themes being engagement students that arrive at, at college or sixth form college to resit maths are often disengaged, they're, they're switched off, they, they're not sure why they're there, they don't want to do it again, so how can we hook them in? And we've got some great themed papers on uh, uh, catering for catering students or engineering students, agricultural students, just so they could see the, the link and that relatability as to, to, to why they need the maths and how it can help them. Um, what, else, what else can we do, Steve? What else do teachers need? that we can help with right now what what can we what can we do after this podcast okay yeah i mean first of all i really welcome uh, what pearson are doing here it's great to have this coming from an awarding body that they're producing these these materials uh i think the emphasis on a focused curriculum that you've mentioned is key um we're at cfm focusing particularly on teaching for mastery which means te teaching for deeper understanding ultimately and trying to cover the whole curriculum in 30 odd weeks is not possible in any depth. So being selective about the areas of the curriculum to cover, focusing on the important areas which attract most of the marks and which have been shown by analysis to make the uh, to differentiate between grade three and grade four students ultimately. Uh, the other thing I'd say in addition to that is um, making connections between those areas. So there is that tendency of a lot of students and I'd say sometimes teachers uh, will see um, maths generally, GCSE in particular, as this set of 60, however many different topics which have no relationship to each other. But if students can make those, be helped to make those connections, it's actually a lot fewer topics than, uh, than they think. So, I mean, in terms of CFEM, that's certainly one emphasis, having a more focused and uh, connected curriculum. So that seems to be having, be very fruitful. So I'd certainly emphasise that. Uh, it needs to be, the action research is certainly suggesting, uh, used consistently across the year. Um, so not just dabbling with it, you've got to, if you're using bar models, use it regularly uh, and provide the CPD and planning time for teachers because they need to develop their confidence and ability to use them effectively. Um, a third one, as always, I think always important is assessment for learning. We've actually called that diagnostic teaching because we want the emphasis on teaching rather than just assessment. Uh, so as we know, learners don't come into colleges as research students as blank slates. So it's important to acknowledge the skills that they bring with them and to try and build on those rather than uh, a sort of one size fits all approach. Um, and we also need to uncover those key mis misconceptions that students bring with them and address those. So a bit more, again, it's more focused in a different way, but it's also a more flexible approach and CFM centres have addressed that in different ways. Um, partly it's, it's general classroom practice. 
small group work support work outside the classroom has been sometimes key to this. Mm. I think the final area, which I think you're going to come on to anyway, is that issue of engagement and motivation. Um, and everything else really relates to that. If students are going to understand it better, if it's more related to their needs, they're going to be more uh, motivated. Um, but I think on top of that, always key to it is the teacher-student relationship, um, which can be sometimes it's about the personality of the teacher. So it's it's, it's difficult one to change, but I think it's, it's sometimes the language, subtle messages that teachers use. Um, teachers need to express belief in their students, as you've said, that we've, uh, we've had students who have damaged goods, if you like, in terms of their maths abilities. Um, so we need to challenge their thinking, change their attitude to maths and make them more open to taking risks and making mistakes and have a go in maths and mm -hmm. encourage them to do that. I think it's the CPD as well, like you mentioned, the, the student-teacher student relationship and that is really key and I think with your, you know, your psychology background, that's, that's the key problem that is facing uh, kind of facing the classroom, both teachers and 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 the the teach uh, teachers and the students themselves, they have a huge barrier to overcome before any maths learning can take place. And I know you know there's lots of research around you know heightened anxiety or stress levels and how children and and learners um, they won't they're not receptive to learn anything under those those circumstances that you know different parts of their brain shut down uh, and they're not receptive to learning any new inf information um, and I was I was thinking about you know obviously this this whole theme around maths anxiety and and um, the, the negative social media um, statements that we see all the time it's always you know, oh, or, or even a punishment. I remember working in a school, and and the punishment for something was, oh, if you're if you're late for your lessons more than such and such time, you you will stay after school and you'll be doing maths for an hour, and using maths as the punishment. And you think, hang on a minute, stop, stop with the negativity all the time. It's always maths. Um, and I was looking back at our, our episodes of. Uh, of the right angle and we've you know this is Bobby Siegel is, is working really hard um, to change attitudes around uh, around mass anxiety and negativity I think he's uh, finishing a PhD in this Nicola Whiston and I um, on our very first episode we were talking about uh, I mean we were in the thick of the pandemic then and, and lockdown and stuff and we were talking about that anxiety and how to break down those barriers and Susan Okereke we've talked about post 16 and and that and and Rob Jennings was another episode with dyscalculia and and that element can could have been a previous factor and and all of these things have been tackled kind of pre 16 they've managed to the teachers have managed to get their students through the exam and then they they don't get the full and all of that work, it's like they get slammed back down again and we have to start for, from the beginning again. So this repeated failure and, you know, will exacerbate maths anxiety and brings the, the things we've mentioned together about having appropriate content and the suitability for these students to buy in. So let's talk about um, the daily work around this problem. Can you share some of the best practice from your centres that have tried to address this 
you know, the anxiety, coaxing the students in, getting them that, that build up of self-esteem. Can you share some of the work that's happened over the past couple of years around around that area, Steve? Yeah, certainly. Uh, and it has been a massive uh, issue for CFEM. Uh, certainly the first couple of years is the one that all centres, pretty much all centres wanted to really focus on. It was the big one to crack. And as you've said, it relates to a lot of the teaching methods that uh, we talked about already. Um, however, I always remember a phrase, uh, and to paraphrase it from Sue Johnson Wilder, and it was to the effect that we're trying to push a car with the handbrake on. And until we take time to release that emotional handbrake, you, it's going to be hard work and you're not going to get very far. It's anxiety and related to that. It's those issues about um, mindsets and, and general resilience in terms of being able to bounce back from yet another grade three or lower and that idea of being a failure in maths. I've said before, I think teacher-student relationship is key. And I've seen this so many times myself. Um, with teachers that somehow manage to really get their students engaged where you think they've no right to here with this group of students, but they have done it. Uh, and I like to try and analyse really what's going on there, what makes it. And it is about them certainly taking an interest in their students and what's happening in their lives. I always think it's almost like what a good parent would do. So it's not letting them get away with murder, you, you know, you've got to have barriers and things, but it's also encouraging them, having belief in them, listening to them. And I think one way is um, it's giving them options. So often with maths, it's my way or the highway. Um, but agency is a big thing here. They need to be empowered and handed back a bit that control over learning maths. Um, related to that, it's the, going on to mindsets really, mindset messages that teachers need to give. Uh, we said about belief really being important, but praising effort, effort beliefs rather than um, fixed abilities. Okay. And getting that balance between, um, on the one hand, supporting students, but also challenging them. If you're over supporting students, then I mean, what are you doing? You're almost sending out the message that, oh, you can't do it without my support, you need me. Um, so students need to know about what learning maths is about, it's about thinking and reasoning. And sometimes that need that everybody who's good at maths has had to struggle with it. You don't just, if you're not having to struggle, you're probably not learning anything. And also those messages about valuing mistakes, uh, a great opportunity for learning and generally creating that positive learning environment so important. So it's a lot there about messages and language used in the classroom, which we've looked at a lot. And um, I think also a lot of uh, centres have, have used extra staffing in effect. Uh, they've trained particularly learning support assistants and sometimes other students so, and, and other staff to act as uh, what's variously been called maths motivators, engagement coaches, maths mentors or so on and so on. Um, Obviously, that does have some resource implications for your extra staff involved, but it has been shown to be very effective, certainly in terms of increasing attendance and, and um, helping learners just to develop a more positive attitude to maths. 
I suppose the key question is we haven't, because of the lack of exams over the last couple of years, we don't know how much that pulls through into uh, results at the end of the day. Um, and whether the investment in the, if you like, the additional staffing um, is worth it in terms of that. Um, one final thing just to mention, um, something that's often called low stakes activities. So often group activities, often quite fun activities that students can really get into and engage with, but where students aren't put on the spot. Mm. Uh, they can work collaboratively. They're not afraid to make mistakes and get things wrong. They're working with their peers. So there's been a lot of work on that. Um, Plymouth, City College Plymouth in particular, have done a lot on trying to take maths out of the classroom, the normal classroom environment, even out of the college in some cases. And that seems to have had quite a profound effect on, on learners' engagement and attitudes. So there's lots of things you can try. It's a bit more nebulous, I suppose, than other areas. But yeah, it's trying to get them to enjoy maths and take the help them take the risks and have a different view of what maths is, I think. Yeah, and I think as well, quite key there, it's it's the teacher taking the risk in order to get them out of the classroom and try something different. And I, I love hearing um, about Plymouth and, and all of the stuff that they do, because it's it's along the, the, the themes of how I used to try and get my um, students out of the classroom. And we used to, you know, go and shoot hoops on the playground. Um, to, to, as part of our averages lesson um, and they were collecting data you know they measured how tall they were so we collected a table of of information on heights of the students and then we all went and played on the basketball hoops on the playground um, and then when we got back they were able to calculate the mean from a table the medians and but they did that naturally because they were part of the the information and it just became a little bit more engaging and they were working together as the team so I think getting out of the classroom and also you mentioned about not being frightened of mistakes and it was really bizarre like a almost a light bulb moment for me once where my I was teaching a bottom set this was kind of pre-16 like a year 11 class but they were bottom set so they were you know classically looking like they were going to have to resit and they said oh can we get the whiteboards out today and I said oh no 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 I need to do this in the book and they said but we prefer the whiteboards miss because we can just rub it out if we make an error and they felt less committed if they were working on whiteboards they had no problem in working on the whiteboard and then copying that over even in their spare time some of them would say we don't we can stay after lunch you know and we'll copy it in but please can we just have the whiteboard because they could just erase it it, it was it was like a commit commitment phobe, if you like, of declaring something in a textbook or uh, in their class book. Um, so I whiteboards were an absolute winner for me because it made them feel more comfortable. So it's it's about finding those tiny little things that make them feel that they can achieve and that they they can do things um, or try things in a different way than then than they've done before. My goodness. We've packed so, so much in. There's so many links that I need to share with our listeners as well. And I'm, I'm just so incredibly grateful for you sharing your thoughts and your advice and your insights. Um, you know, you're such an expert in the field. And, you know, again, like I said at the beginning, I thank you so much for, for spending your, your time with us um, and sharing your advice. So, Steve, thank you again. 
been a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me along. It's it's, it's always good to actually get your own thoughts together, isn't it, and to uh, and to discuss them. Yeah. So to everyone as well listening out there today, please do go and look at the brand new resources from us here on the GCSE Post 16 website. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there are themed papers in context to the courses that the students might be following. We've got free lesson plans to support those key topics. Uh, and we've modified a scheme of work, like Steve said earlier, less than 30 weeks. Uh, so we, we modified a scheme of work to go with that. And there are lots of CPD and training opportunities coming up across the next academic year, specifically for um, uh, FE colleges and sixth form centres. But for now, until the next episode of The Right Angle, please do take very, very good care of yourselves.